1: Good afternoon, I'm Paul McLean, Associate Rector of Calvary Episcopal Church, and welcome to Calvary's 98th annual Lenten Preaching Series and Waffle Shop, our gift to the city of Memphis and to our world. Friday is Fish Pudding Day at Calvary's famous Waffle Shop, which serves up delicious meals on Wednesdays and Fridays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., and Wednesday evenings from 5.15 to 6.15. Orders must be placed 24 hours in advance on Calvary's website and all proceeds from the Waffle Shop support outreach ministries in Memphis. A reminder too that Novel Bookstore, a locally owned bookstore here in Memphis, has created a page on their website uh, that lists and offers opportunity to purchase books from this year's speakers, either in person or online. And it's a great delight to welcome home our guest singer, Jackson Hearn. Jackson was a leader in the Calvary Choir for many years and it's a joy for us to see and hear him again today. He also happens to be the spouse of our guest preacher, whom it's my pleasure to introduce. Meredith Day Hearn is a native Texan and a Tennessee transplant. She is an evangelical turned Episcopal priest. Graduating from Yale Divinity School and the Yale Institute of Sacred Music in 2015, Meredith's love of poetry, songwriting, and storytelling deeply informs her understanding of God in the world, and her preaching preaching seeks to investigate the sanctity of the ordinary, highlighting life's inevitable suffering alongside its propensity for great beauty. After serving at Grace St. Luke's Episcopal in Memphis, by the way, I see a number of you here today to support Meredith, Meredith recently moved to Cincinnati where she serves as priest in charge of the Indian Hill Church, and Meredith just shared with me that it's a a dual denominational church both Episcopal and Presbyterian so that's been a really interesting experience and growing experience for her and we're delighted Meredith it's just great to have you back and we look forward to hearing God's message through you in just a moment as her husband Jackson sings let's take these next few moments to center our hearts and minds.
2: a reading from the gospel according to John. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty "'or have to keep coming here to draw water.' "'Jesus said to her, "'Go, call your husband and come back.' "'And the woman answered him, "'I have no husband.' "'Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying I have no husband, "'for you have had five husbands, "'and the one you have now is not your husband. "'What you have said is true.' "'The woman said to him, "'Sir, I see that you are a prophet.' Just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. And the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. The word of the Lord. Well, this is an absolute joy, (laughs) truly an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Paul, for that beautiful and kind introduction. There is really no place in the world I would rather be than right here with all of you today. And thank you, uh, Jackson, wherever you are, for that uh, beautiful singing. Um, Some of you probably know that uh, Jackson and I, before COVID, of course, uh, forced a change of plans, had... um, arranged to get married here at Calvary this past summer, and so for many months, I sort of imagined myself, uh, he and I, up in this chancel, (laughs) albeit it was a very different scene um, when I was imagining it, Um, but this is really good too, (laughs) so I'll take it. I have to say, it is likely the honor of my career thus far to be standing here in this pulpit where so many homiletical heroes of mine have stood before me. Uh, I was first introduced to the Calvary Lenten preaching series. I remember meeting Paul on this trip back in 2017. I was living in Nashville at the time, and uh, my priest at the time, Becca Stevens, was here. She's a beloved friend of this series. And I traveled with her for her speaking gig, and, and a move that will shock None of you who know Becca, uh, she actually made me sing an impromptu song before her sermon. (laughs) So um, there will be no singing as far as I'm aware this morning. Um, But anyways, I could have never imagined in that introduction that just a few years later I would get to be here with all of you. So just my sincere gratitude to all of you who are here in this place this morning and of course all of you who are watching online. Just so grateful, so grateful. But once I received the invitation to take part in this series, I immediately began to panic because I didn't know what text I should preach on. I mean, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church where the preacher got to talk about anything he fancied on Sunday mornings. And through this process, I suddenly realized how much I really like when the lectionary sets the agenda. Because frankly, Listening to the Holy Spirit for direction is an awful lot of work, and though I initially resisted it, in my discernment I kept coming back to this text, this text that was the scripture for the last normal Sunday that I preached nearly one year ago. I couldn't help but wonder what new realities I might make of it, what, how the text might shift for me, what I might glean from it, and what I might now bring to it in light of all that we have experienced this past year. The gospel was the well-known story of the woman at the well on my last fully in-person Sunday as a priest before half a million American lives vanished before our world was turned upside down, before you and I knew just how good we had it. I suppose that is the true gift of the lectionary, isn't it? That it comes around again and again, cycle after cycle, begging us to ask the question, who have I become since the last time these words fell upon my ears? And though we had no idea just how drastically the coronavirus would change our lives, that Sunday morning on March 15, 2020, there was still so much trepidation and anxiety in the air. At the time, though, we thought the worst possible thing would be that our lives might shut down for a couple of weeks. For many of us, our greatest fear was boredom or having to live our lives without so many of the comforts to which we'd grown accustomed, a real-life Lent of sorts. And though the memory of this naivety leaves me unsure of whether to laugh or cry, the seed of fear had been planted. That morning, I told the congregation at Grace St. Luke's that there had been another time in my life when I felt such prevalent anxiety and distress. When many years ago, during a season of great difficulty, I found myself paralyzed by constant worrying. And this worrying was making it really hard to sleep through the night, so much so that I would wake up like three, four, five times a night, just sit up in my bed, just shocked with terror and fear of the unknown future. And it went on for several weeks like this until I finally shared it with my spiritual director at the time. And she offered me a suggestion, along with a small vial of holy water that she'd gotten from the monastery a few towns over. She advised me that each night when I went to bed, I might place a small bowl of that holy water by my bedside table so that whenever I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd sort of Hazily reach my arm across and tap my finger to the water and Then again to my forehead And just the sensation of the water on my skin would remind me of my baptism of my inclusion and my full acceptance in the church and as a beloved child of God now it didn't make the anxiety disappear but it was a noticeable balm to my perceived loneliness in it. I was not alone, not then, not now, not ever. When this gospel narrative begins, Jesus is in the middle of a trek. He's going from Jerusalem in the south up to Galilee in the north when he stops at Jacob's well for a drink of water. And suddenly, a Samaritan woman comes into view, and he initiates what is clearly a taboo conversation. Not only is he talking with a woman, but a Samaritan woman at that his perceived enemy. And he does something so strange, he asks her for a drink. And then he simultaneously tells her about this water like no other, this living water. This water that quenches all thirst. And then Jesus urges her to go and get her husband and tell him about this water. And as soon as he does it, the whole thing just unravels. Her past failed relationships are revealed. And you can sense her shame just float up to the surface. Growing up, I was always taught that the woman at the well must have been notoriously promiscuous which surely was the cause of her multiple marriages. And this idea was only confirmed by the fact that she went to the well at noon, at midday, the hottest part of the day, so that she might not see any of the other women in the village. But what is peculiar about this text, about this exchange, is that the woman never asks Jesus for forgiveness. And he never offers it. He never tells her to repent or go about her way differently. Something he so often did when he encountered a public sinner. And perhaps this is a clue that there is something altogether different happening here. Now in the social and political climate of the day, a man could divorce a woman for nearly any reason. Chief among them, her incapacity to produce a male heir. Some might argue that we are all in this room for that very same problem, but maybe the Samaritan woman's failed relationships were not caused by her unwillingness to remain devoted, but by her inability to bear children. Perhaps in the end, she is not a woman who has been unfaithful, but one who has been made victim to a system that produced value on women solely by what they could produce. In this system, she was being used as a commodity, an economic commodity traded around, passed around from one husband to the next, and she arrives at the well on this day exhausted and depleted and defeated. She's there hoping to get what she needs discreetly, hoping not to see anyone she knows. And yet, instead, for the first time, a man comes and sees who she really is, for the first time in her life. 12 months, 12 months into this global pandemic, And many of us are finding out who we really are for the first time. Bone weary and desiccated, we have come face to face with our human limitations. Any notion of pretense has crumbled like a thin facade as we have been laid bare before ourselves and one another. These same sentiments are elevated in the season of Lent, and perhaps this is why so many of us find this season to be surprisingly refreshing. And what I hadn't seen in this text before that I can so clearly see now is that Jesus, too, is parched, right? He is the one that is asking for a drink. He is the one that needs something. He is the one sitting with his back up against the wall requesting kindness from a stranger, something he will do once more at the end of John's gospel, his flesh hanging from a cross, a wine and vinegar soaked sponge to his lips. Perhaps it is this act of tenderness from the Samaritan woman that flashes through his mind when he too is at the end of himself. In her poem, "Kindness," poet Naomi Shihab Nye precisely describes this kind of experience. The poem was written just moments after Naomi and her husband were robbed on a bus. They were driving through South America on their honeymoon, and violent thieves had ransacked the entire group, leaving one penniless man dead on the side of the road. And while they're sitting outside in a public plaza after the event, a stranger approaches the two of them, and noticing how traumatized they appear to be, he asks them, what happened? And he offers up two words that when spoken together conjure comfort to an aching heart. I'm sorry, he says. Having only a pocket-sized tablet and a pencil to her name, Naomi pulled out a piece of paper and wrote these words. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt and a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go. So you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness. You must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. This poem strikes me as wonderfully Linton, reminding each of us that grief and joy are two petals of the same flower. That oftentimes it is in the emptiness and the suffering that we find ourselves to be open to the possibility of kindness Perhaps in moments like these, that sort of kinship is our only hope. About a month after I preached this text last March, I got an email late one Friday night, and it was from a woman in my parish, and uh, she told me that her nine-year-old son had just come downstairs and he was having difficulty sleeping and so we asked her if he could have a bowl of water for his bedside table. And she said, you know, I'm not, <laughs> it's not lost on me maybe where he got this idea. And she was worried about him and wondered if we might be able to set up a time to have a conversation. So we'd set up a time to talk. And after our phone, phone call the next day, I asked him if I could come by the following day because I wanted to bring him something I wanted to bring over some holy water for him to use when he needed to be reminded that he was not alone. Now, in a former world, I would have simply stopped by the church and scooped up some water from our beloved baptismal font. But in April of 2020, our font at Grace St. Luke's was dry. In this new world, full of fear of contagion and disease, we had drained it weeks before. So instead, on my way there, I swung by a Shell gas station (laughs) and I picked up the largest and safest looking bottle of water I could find. And I arrived at his home, my hands, the prayer book, and this bottle of water slathered in a drunken bath of Purell. (laughs) It was all starting to feel kind of ridiculous until he stepped outside and emerged from his front door and a wave of delight washed over each of us. We stood there on his front porch for a while, two weary and wounded friends mining for beauty in the terrible. We talked about how frustrating it was to be away from friends and family and church, how each of us felt sorrow and loneliness, how we both couldn't help but wonder where God might be in all of this. But without our questions answered, and without our doubts subsided, and without the world simply returning to the way it was before, we witnessed the faithfulness of an always present God. Right there, in his front yard, the two of us together blessed the bottled water for him to use for future sleepless nights. And on that April afternoon, we had a taste of the living water. And I think a spring of life gushed forth in each of us. friends as we continue to move through the dark and difficult days in this season of lent may we open ourselves up to the world's propensity for great kindness even in the midst of all kinds of sorrow may we be unafraid of bumping up against the guardrails of our own human limitations and as alone As we may feel in these uncertain times, may we never forget that there is one who never fails to meet us in the middle of it all, offering a taste of eternal life. Amen.
1: Thank you, Meredith, for that wonderful message. And Meredith will be at the bottom of the steps to greet you, if you'd like to come up. And Refreshed by the renewing waters of baptism, the living waters and pools of kindness, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of Second and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.